Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Heavenly Father, thank you for life. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for joy in the midst of circumstances that go up and down sometimes. Father, I pray, I pray that this morning we would do business with you. Uh, for each student in this room, for each man and each woman. Father, would they come face to face with you uh, through your Holy Spirit today, uh, that you might work in the deep places of their heart. Father, we pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. We are in Proverbs, and uh, we're going to spend most of the time Proverbs 14 and 15, although we're going to bounce around some today, so I'll have stuff on the screen if you need that. But if you want to turn there, you can turn and try to keep up. Uh, but uh, a friend of mine posted some pictures this week, and I was looking at this, and um, it was talking about something happened in his backyard, and he said he was in his backyard, and he almost fell into what he discovered was a sinkhole. And if you look at the first picture, it doesn't look too bad. You look at this one, it's a little bit little bit more daunting. Look at the next picture. You see kind of what he was facing and was asking questions about, does he need to fear that, uh, you know, a earthworm is going to, a giant earthworm is going to kind of crawl up and swallow his children? Or like, what do you do about a sinkhole? What do you, what do, you do about these scenarios and these situations? And sinkholes are really kind of terrifying things. They take place because there's underwater reservoirs uh, or underground reservoirs of water, sometimes uh, pockets, sometimes flowing, that dry up. And when they dry up, there's nothing to support the ground above it. And so the ground or the dirt, the soil above it caves in along with everything on top of that dirt or that soil. And so you see a couple of these sinkholes that uh, sometimes they're a little more frightening than what my friend experienced and can be a little bit more dangerous. Uh, that was in Florida. This was in Guatemala City. Um, swallowed up a three-story building and a few people as well. Sinkholes can be a terrifying thing. One of the, the scary things about sinkholes is that, that, they, uh, the, that people become really uh, nervous uh, around them because you wonder what else is going to disappear. Like what, what else is going to cave in unexpectedly? And they're, they're, you become suspicious of everything after that because you're not sure what's going to uh, be underneath the surface, if anything at all. Why do I start there today? I think it's, I want, I want us to realize that, that that can happen physically, it can also happen spiritually. That sometimes in our lives, there's an appearance that everything looks great on the surface, that everything looks just fine, everything looks like business as usual, but under the surface, there's a cavity or a vacuum or an emptiness that begins to emerge that can eventually help us realize that something's missing. Something internally is missing and there's a fear that maybe a spiritual sinkhole would take place. And there's a, there can be a drought in our souls at times. They create a vacuum that somehow we need, we need a strength and a resilience to fill something in it that's going to help us sustain under the pressure of this life and, and somehow keep the surface of our life from blowing up or from, from uh, 
from disappearing and into a, into a dangerous place. And so as we bounce in Proverbs today, here's where I want to start. Proverbs 4, verse 23 <clears throat> says, and we're just going to look one verse in chapter 4. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And with all vigilance, we need to order our inner lives with discipline, with rigor, with determination, with, with something that just attacks the problem and says, man, I'm going to try to order the things of my inner world the way I would attack oftentimes a problem on the surface. And it's not just the moral and, and ethical issues that we need to kind of arrange and order within our hearts. It's really, it's our emotions and our desires and our feelings and all the things that stir and swirl within us that we need to rightly order under God's rule and under his reign in order to give us a strength and a resilience that really shows up and, and can sustain what's happening on the external or the surface of our lives that, that we don't create or, or give in. And I think more than ever in our world, there's a temptation to give greater attention to kind of our public appearance and our public work than, there, than what's going on on the inside. I think, you know, this has always been a problem and you can see the wisdom of, of Solomon and you can see the wisdom of the Proverbs and you can see the wisdom of, of Jesus and the scriptures that guided this. But I think, man, in today's world where everything's an instant selfie and we post it, there, there, there's a greater temptation than ever for us to live on the surface and neglect that which is going on and under the surface. And so as we look today, we're really gonna look at this issue of what's going on in, inside and what does it mean for us to order the inside of our lives. And what I know is for most of us, we, we wrestle with the tension and the pressures on the surface of our life by trying to be more active on the surface of our life. The, the typically our solution for finding these things is we're gonna run faster, we're gonna do more, we're gonna try harder, we're gonna accumulate more, we're gonna find a new spouse, we're gonna find a new friend, we're gonna find a new church, we're gonna find a new job. We're gonna do something on the circumstances and the surface of our life to try to solve the tensions and pressures of our life rather than looking internally and saying, man, what's going on in my heart that's causing this tension and pressure and stress? And so as we think about this, I think it's important just to, to acknowledge that, man, all the, all the noise and all the activity and all the busyness of our world is always going to be there at one level or another. Like, we are never going to find a world that's not hurried. We are never going to find a world that is without tension. And yet, in the midst of the world in which we live, we're going to have to figure out how do we navigate this, uh, this place that God, is pla that God has us. I think part of what makes it hard is when you do the heart work, when you do the internal work, no one really sees that, do they? It doesn't show up immediately. Like you don't get a, you can't hit your quota and get a bonus on the work you've done and the internal work of your soul. It's just not the way things go. The way things go, it's not the way they work. And yet there's a quiet, deep place that, that the scriptures tell us that we can find a reservoir of life that wells up within us, that gives us an energy that isn't afraid of the turbulence and the chaos of life, but it strengthens us no matter what comes our way. So what if Proverbs, what if what Proverbs says is true? And we see this day, what if, what if there, you can experience springs of life that overflow in newness and joy in the midst of everything that's going on in your world? 
I think it is. But it seems pretty rare, doesn't it? I was reading and Gordon MacDonald, an author and writer, was talking about a situation he had and he was invited to do an interview with kind of a famous world uh, uh, spiritual figure that was coming from another country and was coming to America. And he was asked to sit down and do an in-depth interview with this, this man and was going to ask him. And the guy said, okay. And they began to meet and he said, well, what is it you want to talk about? He said, well, I just thought we'd talk about really all kinds of different things. And um, he says, you know, I thought we'd talk about your life as a preacher, as a writer, as a scholar. We'd talk about your family. We'd talk about the, uh, the, the rhythms you have in your, your schedule and your life and your ministry and the things you've done. And we, I thought we'd talk about your spiritual disciplines. And the man said, whoa, whoa, whoa what did what, you just say? And he said, I thought we'd talk about your spiritual disciplines. And this man said, and he said, I'll never forget the quote. He said, that part of my life is far too private to share with anyone. It's far too private for me to open up my spiritual disciplines, my relationship with the Lord, the intimacy that I have with him is, it's far too private for me just to throw it into a newspaper and tell everyone about it. And what Gordon McDonald was saying was, that, you know, I think there's some stuff we could have learned from him in that, but I also understood what he was saying. Friends, let me ask you the question. What if there's a room in your soul it was created only for you and God where no one else was invited in. That it's so deeply personal and so completely critical and essential that God says, this is just our space and no one else gets to come in here. Do you have a space like that in your life? Do you have a space that you go, man, this is, the, this, this is so private that it's just me and God. You know, I, I like to be an open person and I like to share my life and I feel like we like to share it with you all. We like to invite people into our home and we like to live pretty transparently with our kids and we tell them an awful lot. But you know, in my marriage, there's a place where I get there and I go, man, this is Nan and me. And no one else gets in this space. This is reserved for one person on this planet and it's my spouse. But what if there's a space like that that's even more intimate? That the God who made you wants to have with you that says this is the most private personal place there is in the universe for you. Do you know that space? I think it's important to acknowledge that you, we can't outsource the heart work in our life. Like it's not, it's not something you can contract out to someone else. There's a space that you have the only one that gets into that space and you have to do the work in that space. And the entire spiritual life, if, if your entire spiritual life can be derived from a, a pastor or a podcast or a book or a Bible study, then there's something essential that's missing. That's you and God coming face to face and doing work together. Friends, we can't outsource that area of our spiritual lives to someone else. Proverbs 14 Let's go. Proverbs 14, starting in verse 10. Let's see what, he, uh, what, what Proverbs has to say for us in this. Proverbs 14, 10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. You know, one of the things about Proverbs is you really have to meditate on Proverbs. It's easy to read. Any of you read through Proverbs, and as you read through, and you can just fly past things, then you look at it, and you go, Later, you look at, look at it and go back and read it and go, wait, what? What is, like, what is he talking about here? You really have to spend some time thinking. And we're going to look at some of those today. And I want us to mind them and dig in a little bit. The heart 
knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares your heart's joy. It's talking about something's personal. You realize that you're, the bitterness that goes on in your life and the hardship of your life, and your, your heart is the only one that really knows it. Like you could describe it. You can try to talk to someone else. If you're a guy, you usually really stumble around it and, and, and struggle to articulate what's going on in there at all because you're honestly, honestly, you're just not real sure. You're like, I don't know. There's just stuff in there, but I'm not really sure what it is. And it just says, and your heart knows, you're the only one that knows what's really going on that's bad. And you're the only one that can really share the joy of your heart. No one else can totally tap into that. It's saying, when it says no stranger, he's just saying, look, no one else in the world can really feel the joy that you feel the way you feel it. It's private, it's personal, it's yours. And so there's something so intimate that in a place that you can only go there. Uh, you know, we're complex beings and we are mental and physical and emotional and, uh, and, and social and spiritual beings and all that just gets mixed together. And one of the fascinating things to me about the way science has worked in about the last 120 years is uh, that all this stuff that we sort of dismissed, they're going around and they're going, hey, wait, this all seems interlinked. Like maybe our emotions and our chemistry and our physical bodies and all this stuff is somehow connected in ways that we didn't think. And I'm like, well, like the Bible told us that a long time ago, we probably could have listened to that and, and realized that. But every now and then science, you know, discovers something that um, has been there all along. And I think we're starting to see how some of those things. So even when you're fighting depression or something else, we go, you got to look at your diet. You got to think about your exercise. You got to think about your work schedule. You got to think like everything fits in because I mean, we're this complex beings that everything fits together and everything comes in. And one part of that is that we're emotional. And when we deny our emotions, we actually are becoming less than human because God made us as emotional beings. And uh, one guy said emotions are the language of the soul and that, that somehow our emotions tell us something about what's going on in our lives. And they're trying to communicate to us. And oftentimes they get ahead of us. Oftentimes they show up and we go, well, I don't know what that was about, but I just kind of went, went off the handle on that situation. And I don't know really what's happening. And you have to step back and go, whoa, what's going on in my whole life? That's dry, you know, there's something that this is trying to get my attention, like a, a, light, like a light on my dashboard, the dashboard of my car that's trying to get your attention. When we ignore our, our emotions, we deny who we are and we miss out on a chance to get to know God in a new way. Oftentimes, they're God trying to get our attention. So we begin to listen to the truth that he has and for other things he might say. And every now and then, and you just need a fight song to cheer you on in life. And your emotions are such a way that you need someone to break through and just play a fight song for you. Uh, what's, what's interesting about that was um, half of you got excited and half of you were like, oh, no, not that stupid team again, right? Like, that it emotionally can take you in any direction. See what I'm saying? Like, Thank you. That was just a great illustration of how holistic beings really work in the complexity of our world. Uh, but when you talk about emotions, it is funny. I mean, half of, half of you guys are like, you know, you start talking emotions and you're like, hey, yo, Adrian, I really feel like, yo, man, yo, Adrian. You know, like that's about all you got, you know? And you start trying to talk. I have a friend who literally had to put his emotions on his phone. And whenever he'd have a conversation with his wife, his counselor had him pull up his phone and go, I feel, and he would look at it. You know, in our family, my wife does this a lot, where people, you know, we'll be talking about her day and be like, how do you feel about your day? And the kids will say something. She's like, that's not an emotion. Like, that's not a feeling. 
Like, how do you feel? Good. She's like, that tells me nothing. Tell me what you really feel. And like, you just keep going. Like, well, let me try again. You know, let me find another word. And so when we get in this emotional world, it can be hard to try to figure out exactly what it is that, that even is going on inside of us. And it's confusing because a lot of times what people feel inside, frankly, is numbness, emptiness, disorder, distress, distraction. Like some of us just, I mean, we, we got ADD emotions. You know, like I, I'm feeling awful. I come home from a bad day and then like you see some little thing on Facebook and you're like crying happy tears and then someone sends you a message and you're like crying bad tears and you're just like, oh, I'm a mess, you know? And, and that's just the way some of us roll. And some of you see all those things and feel nothing at all because you've just, you're just dead on the inside right now. And you don't know even how to get that. And our emotions can be swayed by our fatigue, our disillusionment, our cynicism, anger, bitterness, our regrets for the things that we've done or the things that have happened to us that we don't want to go, that we don't want to see. And it feels uncertain and unsure. And so we just think the best plan is going to be to kind of close that off and maybe not enter into that space. But that's not really a good solution. The answer to brokenness in our emotions is not avoidance. Um, but ultimately, it, it calls us to engage it. Proverbs 14, if you skip over two more verses, verse 12, says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way to death. It talks about this, the way that seems right to a man. It's talking about somebody's trying to take a shortcut. They want to avoid all the difficult work. They want to avoid having to wrestle with the tough stuff. They want to avoid doing the deep work and avoid admitting failure and avoid being flexible with others. But there's no shortcuts to emotional health. There's no, no shortcuts to a deep, a deep and meaningful life. And you know that there's a metaphor in life that you can find in horror movies? Let me ask you this. Any of you a horror film? Anyone want to actually admit you like horror films or scary films? Um, let me just ask you this. When a teenager at night in a group of friends decides to take a shortcut home, <laughs> what do you know is going to happen next? right? Bad things are going to happen. You did not know that the masters of horror were really reading Proverbs, but that's what they wanted you to understand is there's no shortcut. It seems right. It seems like a good idea at the time, but in the end, it leads to death. And so there's no way that you can just skip through the hard stuff to get to a healthy place. Look at the next verse, Proverbs 14, 13. It says, even in laughter, the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. Yeah, aren't you encouraged in that? Even in laughter may end and the heart may ache. What I say is, man, we're just, we're always gonna have mixed stuff going on in our lives. Well, one of my mentors always says, there's good and bad in every day. You know, and we sit down and we start talking about the things that are going on and he goes, there's good and bad in every day. And there's a reality that you're gonna have difficulties in, in a day and you're gonna have good things in a day. And, and even when you're feeling really happy, there may be an undercurrent of that that goes, man, I'm also sad about this situation. It's one of the hardest things, honestly, about my job is I feel like I'll get one email and it's like, man, this person's life is a train wreck right now and they're really hurting. And then I'll get another email and it's like, man, the greatest thing ever happened to me and I want to do this. And I'm just going, whoa, you know, it's like roller coaster stuff. But the reality is that's what goes on in our own hearts too, that we experience the roller coaster of emotions and there's good and bad in every day. But it's hard because it's hard to feel okay in a world where everything's not okay all the time. Because what we want to do is we just want to somehow make it all okay. We want to somehow navigate it in a way that it is. We want things to be perfect. We don't want to lack anything at all. We want to be satisfied with every relationship and every conversation. But our world's not like that. 
It's just not the way that, that, that we work. We have imperfect families. We have imperfect marriages. We have imperfect churches. We have imperfect jobs. We have imperfect um, health. We live in a broken world. And so in the midst of that, it sometimes can be difficult. Failure to deal with our emotions is really a symptom of unhealthy spirituality. That we're not somehow dealing with really who God made us and what, uh, what it is that we face. Do you remember the danger of the sinkhole? That we like to pretend everything's okay on the surface because we don't really want to acknowledge the big hole growing beneath the surface? See, sometimes in our life, it's easier for us to, man, let's just continue to rearrange the furniture on the surface and not really do the dangerous work underneath. I tell you, there's two extremes when it comes to this emotion thing. There's some people that run away from their emotions and there's some people that get stuck with their emotions. And both, are, both can be equally dangerous. And some people don't, they, they don't want to acknowledge it. And so they just keep hiding, they keep running, they keep, they keep avoiding dealing with it. And then there's some others that they take their emotion and whatever pain they've got and they make it like a teddy bear. And they're just like, I'm just going to hold you and I'm going to stay right here forever. And they get stuck in an emotional place. They don't want to let go. And both those two things can be a problem. You know, one of the things, there's a, a book that's been really helpful for me called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in looking at that, one of the things that, he, that the author says is that many Christians don't believe they have permission to feel negative emotions like anger, fear, and sadness. That there's kind of this hyper-spirituality thing that just says, man, I should always put a smile on. I should always be happy. I should always be able to enjoy life because, you know, life is good. God made us and uh, Jesus saved me. And so I should always be able to enjoy everything that's good. So we deny and suppress our emotions, and that can really be a problem. I think is that we, we tend to cram that stuff deep down somewhere so we don't have to deal with it. The problem is we do have to deal with it eventually. That it shows up in our physical unhealth. It shows up in our spiritual unhealth. It oftentimes shows up in our relational patterns. It shows up in unhealthy desires or, that are hidden sins. It shows up in alcohol and prescription drug abuse. It shows up oftentimes in things that are under the surface that no one else tends to see, but there's something driving us into unhealthy patterns of life because we're running away from the difficulty of something that's happened in our, in our existence. So that's, that's one of the problems. There's another problem of people that they, they hold it too close and their emotions take over and control and drive everything else so that any emotions like anger can explode in certain situations unexpectedly because they've held on to something until like a, like a tea kettle that when the heat gets turned up, there's something that just bursts out and it usually comes in anger. Or sometimes it's creating a home environment that's not free and joyful, but really is controlled because they're holding on to something they don't want to let go of. But God created us as emotional beings and it's interesting that he could have made us unfeeling, right? You ever thought about that? Like God could have said, you know, let's create this man and this woman and send them in the world in an unfeeling way. But he didn't. He made us emotional beings, which means there's something good. There's something to hold on to. There's something to even seek and to nurture in that. And that's, I think, what Proverbs wants to tell us um, that we need to do. And we can't deny our emotions, but somehow we have to develop our lives in light of them and including them. Proverbs 14 says, the simple believes, I mean, for, uh, Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. To believe everything is to be gullible, to be accepting of anything that anyone throws at you, that you just, you take any idea that someone says and goes, oh, I'll just go that way, you know, and, and, you, and you run that direction. 
in an unhealthy sort of a way. And I want to encourage you, when it comes to figuring out what's going on on the inside, and don't, don't swallow every pill someone gives you. There's a lot of really bad ideas in our world. You'll receive a lot of really bad counsel. Don't, don't search the internet looking for truth to navigate the emotional pain you feel week in and week out or the emotional excitement you feel week in and week out. Don't, uh, if you get engaged and you're planning a wedding and you're excited about everything that's coming your way, don't just run to uh, the wedding magazines and what your friends did and everything else to determine what it is you're called to. Go to the scriptures and say, man, what is really supposed to orient my life? And that works with your positive emotions and your negative emotions. And what is it that you need to do? Don't simply trust what everyone else is telling you. But it says the prudent give thought to his steps. There's self-reflection. There's depth of thinking. You know, one of the, the hardest things you have, to, you have to get used to in life is that you have to live with yourself. Like that could be hard, Right? Like it, it, it can be hard sometimes to live with others, but it can also be hard to live with you in your own heart, in your own junk. And it's like, man, I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want to deal with that stuff. I didn't want, but you just realize, man, I, I've got my own stuff. I've got to navigate. And you have to, it says, be prudent and give thought to your steps. One of the dangers in, that, that I think Proverbs warns us of is we're going to have all kinds of inputs in our life. And there's other people that are going to speak into these things. And so one of the dangers we have is that we're going to have tons of other people trying to fix us, trying to change us, trying to tell you how you ought to live. And that's not always going to be helpful. Um, but there's another danger that in your own self-will that we've all got this stubbornness in our own hearts that doesn't want to, doesn't want to adjust to the way God has built the world either. And so there's two dangers, I think, in ways this kind of self-deception can take place. And I think that's what he's talking about here in Proverbs 14. He says, the simple believes everything. It's those who, they've become deceived. They've bought into a lie. They've bought an answer that doesn't really, doesn't really direct their steps in a healthy way. So I'll give you two ways this can, this can really affect us. One is it can turn inward. Another is that it can turn outward. That when we deal with our emotions, we can somehow turn completely inward on that, or we can really turn and aim it outward, and both those can ultimately be a problem. Let's look at a couple more Proverbs that deal with this kind of an idea. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones, what? Rot. Well, that's a great word, isn't it? Envy makes the bones rot. See, nursing a resentment, nursing a regret, never makes things better. And nothing rots your life like, uh, like, like bitterness about something you don't have or jealousy about someone else has, what someone else has. When you're focused on and obsessed and fixated on what you don't have, there's no way you can enjoy what you do have. And oftentimes God has given you much and he's given you a lot of good. And when you obsess over the one thing in your life that's bad or when you obsess over the one thing you can't have or when you obsess over someone else's life and the way it is, and there's no way for you to enjoy the blessings and the goodness that God has given you. One guy um, said, said about this, Joseph Epstein said about envy. He said, of all the seven deadly sins, envy is the only one that's absolutely no fun at all. He was like, most of the other sins have something you look at and you're like, well, at least that part was fun. You know, like gluttony, like at least eating was good, but it led to something bad, right? Envy though, there's no fun at all. It's the only one that's negative completely from beginning to end. And sometimes what we see is when we put a good face on the inside, but when it says it's rotting your bones, what it's saying is it's somehow destroying something on the inside. I mean, you put a good face on the outside, but it's somehow destroying something on the inside. 
there's something negative that's taken place there. And sometimes a person's deep resentment opens up like a sinkhole and swallows up what is good in their life. And that's a problem. Proverbs 15, 13 is a similar verse. Notice how much this, the first part of this verse sounds like the first part of the last one. It says, a good heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Here, instead of crushing others in anger or envy, a person crushes himself or herself and that frustration's turned inwards. So somehow dealing with that negative emotion in a bad way, instead of it being kind of spewing out on someone else, it just gets turned inward and it becomes something that begins to do something negative in you and begins to crush your spirit. And you might think of this, I I think, is more like depression. It's a dark cloud that takes place over our lives. Friends, can I say this? If you're in a dark place, don't keep it to yourself. Looking inward is not going to fix it. I see this over and over where people begin to spiral into a a darker place and they begin to move down into the sinkhole of that darkness. And if they don't ask for help, they can't find their way out. Friends, you're going to need some help if you're in that place. You may need medical help. Guys, especially a bunch of you ought to be talking to someone else about the stuff of your heart. And you keep hiding until the sinkhole of your life opens up and you fall in and and you have to ask for help. Friends, don't wait that long if you can. Let me say, too, I've been there. Like, I I know what it's like to feel the sinkhole that draws you down. Um, There's there's times in my life where I've been in a place where I needed to go talk to someone, and and you may be there, too. And so, and don't let some fake machismo keep you from dealing with the sinkhole that's underneath when you need to go there. And as we think about what this looks like. We see that there's a danger of turning inside or, and kind of obsessing there. There's a danger in blasting someone outside. Let me ask you this. It's interesting when you look at the Bible, where does joy come from? Does it come from our circumstances or does it come from our hearts? It says it comes from our hearts. We tend to prefer working on our circumstances when we need to work on our hearts. Which one is easier if, you, if someone comes up to you on a Monday and says, Let's see, what do you want to do? You want to solve three problems that are pretty, you know, circumstantial, or do you want to go talk about kind of the heavy stuff going on in your heart? Like almost, I mean, there's a few of you that would be like, let's talk hearts. And then almost everyone else is like, let's solve the three things. I want to check my list off and then let's go to lunch, right? Let's get there as quickly as we possibly can and avoid all this. But here's what I want you to understand. This really is not an either or situation. This is probably more of a both and. When you think about where we are, it's not that we don't need to fix some of the stuff in the circumstances of our lives, but it's that we need to work and look and go, man, what is your schedule? What is your routine? What is your, who are your friendships? What inputs do you have? What, like we need to look at all these things, but we also need to step in here and go, but what's going on in here that the Lord wants to do some work in? so that you can find a new place. It's usually a both and, but it starts ultimately from the heart because it's fascinating when you look at the the two Proverbs we just looked at, what is the focal point that needs our attention? It's the heart. He says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. That's something about the the heart shows up on the face that when, when things are right here, in the midst of your circumstances, something's gonna show up there. But there's another side, Proverbs 15, 15, next verse there. says, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. See, the Bible's telling us that there's a peace that passes understanding and there's a joy that goes beyond circumstantial happiness. 
But there's a joy deeper than our circumstantial happiness. And there's a peace that passes an understanding that, that maybe our circumstances would say, your life feels turbulent, but you can have calm in the midst of that. All the days of the afflicted are evil. What's he saying there? That's despair, right? I mean, all the days are evil. I mean, that's someone who's kind of thrown in the towel, right? They're just like, it's never gonna get better. Like, it's gonna be bad. That's, that's total despair. It's kind of a, a victimization mindset or poverty mindset that there's no way out. See, some people can find ugliness at a circus, right? Like, you can go to a circus and they're gonna be unhappy because there's something in their heart that just says, and I'm, I'm gonna hold on to the darkness and I'm gonna make sure that, that there is no joy that's there. But it's fascinating because Proverbs contrasts that and says, but the cheerful of heart has a what? Continual feast. That somehow in the heart, there's a way in which we can find this kind of constant nourishment for our souls. Friends, our emotions are not the problem. Emotions in and of themselves are not bad. Do you know Jesus was emotional? It's fascinating to me, Isaiah says this about Jesus, says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That when Jesus entered into our world, that he said, I'm gonna bear up underneath your griefs. I'm gonna carry your sorrows. That you're not gonna be alone in the burdens that you, uh, that you navigate in this world. In fact, uh, Ray Orland says, emotional vulnerability is part of the price love is willing to pay. I love that. Christ and his love, one of the, the, the price that he was willing to pay for you and for me is that he was gonna enter into an emotionally vulnerable place and say, I'll bear up underneath your sorrows and I'll help carry the griefs that you carry. And when Jesus entered the human race, he began to carry all of our emotional baggage. You ever thought about that? When scripture says that we are to bear one another's burdens, in some ways that's one of the burdens we carry is the emotional baggage that we all bring. But Christ himself helped bear the emotions of our lives. In fact, Jesus, it says that, um, some of the things that said about Jesus, it says his heart was troubled. Uh, the word that's most often used when he looks out over a group of people is, it says he feels compassion. That there's something in his heart that moves towards you and says, I wanna help carry the stuff that you see because you look lost and beat up like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus moves towards you and wants to carry those things. And Jesus said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. And you feel the emotion in that? Have you ever hurt so bad that you felt like you could die? Jesus said he felt like that when he came to rescue us. And he voluntarily entered our world and became acquainted with our sadness and endured it all for what purpose? So that he might bring us joy. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That he entered into our sorrow, he entered into the cross, he entered into bearing our burdens for the joy set before him. The joy that was to come, the joy that he knew. You know what his joy was? His joy was that you would be joyful. His joy that would be, was so that you would know the joy that he wanted you to have. In fact, in John 15, it says, Christ says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Like if you never hear, if you don't hear anything else today, would you just hear that? Jesus Christ came to this planet and he said, I came so that my joy, the joy that Jesus felt might be in you and that your joy might be made full. 
Jesus wants us to be honest with our emotions, but he doesn't want us to, to not experience the joy that he came to bring. He came to bring something good for us. Man, I want to read one other quote from Ray Orland. He says, Christ finds us and received us as emotional jungles, but he did not turn us into emotional deserts. He receives us as an emotional jungle that's just kind of overgrown in a mess. He said, but he didn't turn us into emotional deserts. He says, if you're out of control or just dead inside, give yourself to Christ today. He wants to give you fullness of joy. Do you believe that to be true? In all the hurts and hardships and the hangups of your life, Christ wants to give you joy. But the reality is we've been lied to about how to be happy. We've been told that fixing all the circumstances on the surface of our life is what makes us happy. We've been told that if we get everything exactly like we want it, when we want it, that we'll be happy. We've been told that somehow if we can create the perfect situation, the perfect relationships, the perfect circumstances, the perfect job, the perfect family, the perfect whatever you want to fill in the blank with, if you can get the perfect life, that you'll be happy. What the scriptures say is you may have everything the way you think you need it and you may still be unhappy. But you can also have a life that's a bit of a mess and have deep joy. That's why prisoners of war sometimes are the most joyful people on the planet. It's why Paul is a prisoner of war and he was singing hymns and praises in ways that the jailers looked and said, dude, I don't know what's happening, but can you tell me about that? Because they wanted to know, how does this guy have joy that doesn't seem to make any sense? You notice the verse here, though. It says that we can have a continual, that our hearts can have a continual feast. That there can be something that nourishes, nourishes us from within, that springs of life will well up within us to strengthen us and to give us resilience in the midst of everything that goes on. We feast on the love of God, and that inner strength can keep us from the sinkholes. Can I give you one other thing that's really helpful in this? One, one last proverb. Healthy spiritual friendships in the community of the church. Proverbs 15.30 says, A light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. When someone comes up and they've got light in their eyes, and they're in a really joyful, good place, does that not just encourage you? When someone comes up and they give you good news and a word of encouragement, and when, no matter where you are in the circumstance of life, it just encourages you in a deep place. You know, I was talking with someone this week, and they were talking about a difficult situation that they had gone through over the last week. And they said last Sunday they came in here and they, they knew they needed to be here because of some of the hurt and hardship they had gone through in the previous week with the job situation. And as they walked in here, they said, you know, I don't want to just like break down in front of everyone. I'm trying to hold it together. And so they put a good smile on and they walked in and they got here. But they said they walked up and they saw one person that they knew, one person that, they, that, that, that knew who they were and that understood who they were and kind of knew the whites of their eyes and said, when I saw that person, said, my heart just melted and I began to share what was going on. Friends, that's what church ought to be. That in all the circumstances of our life, we walk in and we walk up to people that love us, people that know us, people that care about us, people that they know a life that's a continual feast or a love of God that's a continual feast. And we just get to share that with one another so that our hearts are stirred up and our hearts are, are born up in strength and in resilience in all the ins and outs of our days. And that, that's really what church ought to be. So let me end with this. It's impossible to be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. When God goes to work, he goes to work in us in, in order to bring about maturity. 
And, and, and in that work, some of that work is the deep work of our hearts and the work which we've got to do for ourselves. But God made a world, uh, we see in Genesis, he made it for shalom, he made it for wholeness, he made it for human flourishing. And in the midst of the brokenness, and we all have the ups and downs, but here's what we need to rest assured of. And there's a time he's coming to make all things new where he will make all things whole again. He will make them, new, he will make them, he will make them right. And while we wait for that, friends, let's not, let, let's not deny our emotions. Let's not wallow in them. But let's let them drive us to the Lord and to learn somehow in that, intimate, in that intimate place to have a continual feast in our souls that nourishes us no matter what comes our way. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for each of us. Father, would you help us to keep our hearts with all vigilance? Would you give us springs of life that well up there? That give us joy in the midst of all circumstances? Father, would you help us in those quiet places to do work with you? Not to simply to be dependent upon those around us, but to ultimately be dependent upon you. Father, let us be a place that encourages one another and all the ups and downs to continue to seek after you with full hearts. Father, we might know Christ's joy and the fullness of his joy that he wants to give. Pray it in his name. Amen. Amen.